to Unknown Philosophers Live again, uh, Saturday edition. This is going to be episode uh, number 11. Uh, we have uh, Brother Ted, uh, Dr. Brother Ted Cross with us this morning. Um, before I uh, introduce our guest co-host, I would like to say happy birthday uh, to uh, one of our guests, Douglas. I believe Ted had a birthday. And uh, somebody else in there, uh, I believe, had a birthday as well. Jason. Brother, Jason had Brother a birthday. Jason yesterday. Yeah. 55. So 55. Oh, my God. All right. So happy birthday, you guys. Um, you. So I would like to uh, introduce our special uh, co-host, uh, Brother Jacob Twer. Uh, Cosmo is out today doing media for his uh, restaurant, so we're happy with that. Brother Jacob, how are you doing this morning? Doing great. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me do this with you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for, uh, for signing in, and I uh, always love hanging out with you. Same, brother. Well, we are, uh, we're excited. We got a, uh, like you said, doctor brother with us today that's going to do a pretty cool presentation. Real quick, uh, I'll give an intro on Dr. Brother Ted Cross, uh, who's done a few presentations uh, around some lodges in Arizona, and uh, they've pretty much all been the, like, the best scholarly presentations I've ever seen, so I'm really excited for this one as well. But, uh, so... Uh, Dr. Brother Ted Cross, he's a Master Mason, uh, affiliate with Arizona number, number two, right? Yeah. Is that right, Ted? Uh, oh, as well as Hiram Lodge number uh, 81, it looks like, in Philadelphia. He's a past master of the Research Lodge here in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, Research Lodge number one, and is a member of the Pennsylvania Academy of Masonic Knowledge. Ted holds a bachelor's degree from BYU and an MA from Arizona State. And then looks like you got your your doctorate at uh, University of Pennsylvania. Looks like you've been to every school possible. I've been to a lot of schools. <laughs> now we have my team. And works it. And, and now works at one. Yeah, That's so um, <laughs> looks like, uh, yeah, po postgraduate certificate from, is it the, the Wharton School of Business? Is that how you pronounce that? Yeah. The Wharton School of Business? Um, looks like Cross is interested in uh, intersection of religion, masonry, ancient esoteric knowledge. Dr. Cross and his wife Stephanie have taught uh, religion classes at uh, ASU and the uh, LDS Institute for Religion. And it looks like professionally, uh, Dr. Cross is associated, or it rather is the associate dean of, of the business school at uh, WGU, which is like a really cool... Uh, it's mostly online, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, we have about uh, 42,000 students that we serve as a nonprofit um, online business school. Cool. Yeah, I've looked into it. It looks awesome. Well, without further ado, uh, Briggs, do you have any anything else before we kick it off? No, just thank you for that great intro. I just want to welcome you, Brother Ted. You know, we kind of run around in the same circles here around Arizona, but have never really uh, gotten together before. So uh, really happy to learn from you this morning. And the floor is yours, my brother. Thanks so much. Let me uh, share my screen with you all and get my presentation going. All right, we all set there. Looks wonderful. Perfect. So I want to talk a little bit about... Uh, work-life balance, if you will. You know, a lot of times we talk, we'll dig into some, how does, how does Freemasonry and some of the principles we learn inside the fraternity 
apply to our da daily lives and how can we apply it now when we're all in this uh, pandemic quarantine lifestyle that we're living? How can we apply some of the, the lessons from Freemasonry, modify those to apply to our current situation? Um, I think that it's interesting and important to remember that Freemasonry is more than just a fraternity of men. It really was meant to be and is hopefully uh, a self-improvement club, if you will. Uh, whether you want to take that on as an individual member of our organization, as someone who would like to improve spiritually, sure, that can be one aspect. Uh, others might just look to the fraternity as a social network uh, beyond, beyond our, our, our digital social networks, a face-to-face -face, in in-person social network, which has now turned digital, which is interesting. Or even if you want to use this as a practical application to improving yourself from a psychological standpoint. So how can we use some of the principles we find in here? And of course, these principles are often thought of as ancient principles, which they are, but they're repackaged in a packaging of enlightenment, enlightenment philosophy, if you will. And so, um, yes, we know that Freemasonry started officially in England in 1717, but there's many ideas that Masonry is uh, adopting, co-opting, repackaging, and putting into, um, into a new system that helps people learn uh, new lessons. And that's what's interesting about the entirety of Freemasonry. We all know this um, quote here, that Freemasonry is a system of morality veiled in allegory illustrated by symbols. So there's some underlying morality of uh, the way that you should live your life, the life philosophy, if you will. And it's veiled in a story form or told through symbols that can be interpreted in many ways. One, of course, to sort of uh, shield those uninitiated from not being able to understand what these lessons are. But second, and probably more importantly, that we each might interpret them in different ways and apply them to our own lives. Um, it, the more prescriptive you get in a in a system like Freemasonry, the less freedom there is for people to interpret uh, those, those systems in their own, through their own worldviews. And that's what's so great about Masonry in general is it allows lots of people from lots of different backgrounds to look at the same stories, the same symbols, the same allegories and say, this is what I think it means for me, right? Or from my worldview. But what is that basic allegory? Of course, it's the story of building Solomon's temple, which we often apply to ourselves, this idea of building our own temple and taking the principles we learn through a degree system, which we'll talk about briefly in a second, to make ourselves into a more perfect temple, a more perfect person. Never, at, We're never able to achieve perfection, of course, but we're able to uh, self-improve just as if we were building a building. The ceremonies or rituals that we go through, and this is just for uh, a little bit of background before we, we delve in. There's three main degrees in the Blue Lodge or where we start, obviously. First degree called Entered Apprentice, second degree Fellowcraft, and third degree Master Mason. And what I want to focus on today is some of the lessons that come out of the Entered Apprentice or first degree um, ceremony. Now, Brother Briggs uh, or 
Jacob, did you want to add anything here or questions before we keep moving along and delve away from Freemasonry into some of this, the scientific study of, of time management? Not for me. You got my attention. I uh, can't wait to see uh, uh, what you dive into here. So uh, how about you, Jacob? No, I, same here. I'm, I'm ready for, for whatever's next. I'm hooked. And for everybody else, feel free to ask me questions along the way because uh, I think that that's the most interesting conversations we'll get uh, out of this experience. So in that entered apprentice ritual, and that's another interesting thing to note about Freemasonry is that it's experiential learning. In other words, you, you are physically moving through and taking a, a role in a play, if you will, uh, that we present in ritual form. Often you are the protagonist, uh, the chief architect of the Temple of Solomon, Hiram Abiff, but sometimes you're just yourself moving through the degrees. And in one of these degrees, the first one, you're presented near the end with some working tools. Of course, Freemasons use these, these tools in a symbolic way, not in an operative way like the operative masons who actually built cathedrals. So we have the 24 inch gauge and the common gavel. And so of course, in the operative sense, the 24 inch gauge was used to lay out the work, right? And to drop plans and to measure things and the common gavel to knock off rough edges, if you will, of stones so that they fit and to hammer things into place. But we're taught in the inter-apprentice degree as Freemasons to use that 24 inch gauge or ruler as, uh, as a, a different symbolic, at for a different symbolic meaning. And so we're used to, we're, we are taught to use it to divide our time into three equal parts. So it, the gauge becomes not a physical ruler of measuring out plans for buildings, but now it's about how do you apply 24 increments and divide it into three equal parts to manage your life, right? Or your time. So we are taught eight hours for service to God and distress worthy brother, eight hours for our usual avocations or work, and eight hours for refreshment and sleep. It's all very tidy, isn't it? Very tidy. And this is one of the lessons when I was going through the first degree in Freemasonry way back when in Philadelphia that I really remembered because I related to it, right? Because uh, I was uh, 10 to 15 years, yeah, 15 years younger than I am now and, and uh, really was thinking about how can I fit everything into my life that I want to on a day-to-day -day basis. And this was an interesting pattern, dividing things into three. The other question is, why do you think that, um, why is it divided into three here? Like any ideas? Any, seems pretty, is it arbitrary? What do you guys think? I know a lot of lessons in the past, they, they use threes a lot. Um, uh, gosh, that first line there, I just, I keep looking at that one. I'm like, boy, if we could get that one down. <laughs> Eight hours for service to God and distress worthy brethren. Yeah. 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 Or just spending time with God every day. You know, I think that's uh, um, something that's really important in that plan. How about you, Jacob? 
Sorry, I had to get my sound on there. I, you know, uh, other than the, the simple fact that Freemasons uh, are the, at least the architects of our degrees really liked the number three. I think it, uh, it just fit probably fit quite nicely to, to, to go that round. I think it's, I think those three divisions, um, each Mason can kind of interpret in their own way, which is something you kind of started with Dr. Ted was, was, you know, there's a bit of subjectivity to, to our lessons and we get to kind of navigate these general un umbrella parameters per se, um, the best way we see fit, which is, which is cool. So I think that those three uh, aspects of the, of the 24 inch gauge being eight hours for service to God and our, on our distress worthy brother, eight hours for work and eight hours for refreshment. Uh, there's a lot that can be encompassed within that. And it just, it fits nicely. It works. It's almost archetypal in the way that we get to kind of interpret it. And it might speak to each person, you know, in a, in a different way, which is very Masonic. Yeah. It's very, you know, it's very individual. I think that for me, there's some interesting things that start popping out. Um, of course, three in, in sacred numerology is this idea of perfection or father, son, holy ghost, or uh, father, mother, son, what, whatever way you want to interpret that three, right? And also as sort of a, as a, as a interesting uh, mathematical number as well, three. And then you have the law of thirds in design, for instance, which says that look, if you want things to be proportional, it should be laid out in thirds, right? So it's all, and if we take this idea of the repackagers is what I call them of the ancient mysteries and the enlightenment period that are coming up with this system that we now call Freemasonry, here's a great way to see them taking neoclassicism and inserting it into a modern system. Well, modern then, still sort of modern for us today, right? This idea of, look, when you built a building, you would follow these kinds of rules. And so when you're building yourself, you should also follow these aesthetic rules, right? This is about aesthetics. This is about how, how do things uh, work together in harmony, not just how do they superficially look from the outside, but how do they work together to make a very robust, strong building, right? And uh, how does that also work on a spiritual level? If we're, if we're doing a little bit of hermeneutics here and interpreting this text, which is very small, we're looking at the layers down and down and down until we get to an application. And my, my, you know, my opinion would be the, the last level inside of that interpretation. But it also, you see here that there's some presuppositions in this statement. Uh, one is that there's 24 hours in the day. Okay, we kind of can agree on that. Now, if you really start thinking about it though, that, that's just sort of an arbitrary number that we've assigned to how many increments we will go by in the day. Yes, there's a logical and scientific reason for it, but okay, so we're, we're agreeing that there's something called a day that's 24 hours that includes roughly half light and roughly half darkness. Okay, let that settle in a little bit. And then we are presupposing that from a sociological standpoint, our lives can be divided into at least three parts. So here you have service to gods, 
is, is that we could see that maybe as a spiritual aspect, a spiritual domain, if you will. There's eight hours for work. So you got to work. There's the, the very physical in the world, the worldly, and then eight hours for refreshment and sleep. You just, you have to sleep. What's interesting is when we sleep, it's like we're there, but we're not. We're entering a new state of consciousness, right? So there, there's these different levels and different kind of aspects of our lives that I think is very interesting that this teaching is presupposing that there's distinctions between different domains of our lives. And that's, um, maybe it's a little bit uh, platonic. I'm not sure. You know, maybe there's a little bit of body, mind, and spirit integrated into here. Maybe there's a little bit of that neoclassicism coming back. And of course, what we're seeing is let's let the scientific revolution, which previously just influenced the Enlightenment philosophers heavily, let's use a scientific or objective way to measure our time and use scientific tools like a, a ruler, right? Some measurement tool to measure how we're going to live. Comments on, on some of those thoughts. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, kind of. Well, I, if you want to comment about that thought, um, let's go to somebody else. But I have a no, sort of fresh idea about what these things represent. Please. No idea. I'm just sitting here looking at them. And I see over and over and over again in the ritual, in the lodge, uh, representations uh, of the three pedestals. And if you look at those from top to bottom, uh, worshipful master, senior warden, junior warden, could those be representations of those offices? Sure. I think that's a great way to look at it. And like, what is the, what is the master represent here? What does the senior warden represent? What does the junior warden represent? I mean, you even have words that are associated with those pedestals in those sentences, right? Very interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. That's good. Another insight I saw too, that's, that's wonderful, Jason. That, and, and another insight I saw too was, uh, you know, at the end of the Emerald Tablet, the uh, author, uh, Hermes Trismegistus, he said, you know, he's mastered these, he's, he's actually said he has mastered these three philosophies. That is pretty neat. And like you said, Ted, again, these are three different states. You have a sleep, maybe an a, a awake and an awakening. You know, these are three different dimensions we live in. Um, wow, this is so cool. Thank you. And what an interesting progression from the bottom to the top, right? Of that, like you're saying. Absolutely. Very, like like um, darkness to light, if you will. Um, lower consciousness to higher consciousness. Um, moving up the ladder, whichever ladder you choose to insert there. Um, there's all different things. It's all there. Yeah. Now, what I want to get into next is that Let me ask a question. If we're using this model, separating our day into three distinct eight-hour parts, how does that, how's that working for y'all now in modern times? For me, it's much easier to do, which is kind of strange. Yeah. Anybody else? I think it's... Uh... For, for me, uh, this is a question, I, I guess, for anyone to, to include you, uh, Brother Ted, but 
Um, where does the creative facet or like your artistic kind of aspect of your life fit into this? Because I, 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 I see that as like of equal importance, the, the creative, you know, fiat, the, the yeah. want to cr create artistically or um, involve yourself in something that's, it that doesn't seem like it quit quite, uh, you know, fits right into work or, you know, maybe refreshment and, but maybe service to God, you know, it like kind of fits right. in all those, but kind of not, you know, it's kind of pervades all three of them. Um, Jason, it looks like you exactly. got something to you add hit it, there. You hit it, Jacob. It's in all three. It's in all yeah. three. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, but to answer your, your question, Ted, I think, um, you know, if this is like, if this is, is, is like the goal, if this is perfection, you know, none of us maybe attain it perfectly all the time. Uh, certainly not myself, you know, um, but it, it, you, I think I do feel better when I do get into a rhythm. Sure. You know, I start to feel better when I get into some rhythm, whether it's, you know, um, eating better every day. And actually, I, I guess, to sum that up is being mindful about my day to day, actually being conscious about what's going on in my life day to day, rather than just kind of going through the motions. And I think that that's um, one thing to notice about the teachings inside of Freemasonry, as we mentioned before, is that they're principles and principles can be applied in many different ways uh, to accomplish the same thing. Right. And so we are laying that out. And, you know, a couple of years ago, The Economist had this interesting article and they talked about something called confetti time. So they're doing a survey of modern workers and they found that actually um, modern workers today have more free time. And this may be different now that we're in the pandemic. Uh, modern workers have more free time now than they did 50 years ago. However, on surveys, um, people today feel like they have less time than people 50 years ago. So there's a disconnect. We actually have more free time. However, we feel like we don't have as much free time as 50 years ago. And these researchers were wanting to know, you know, why is there a disconnect between this? And one of the reasons they figured it out is that we have more time, free time now, but it's in tiny chunks. So you might have, you know, an hour in between X and Y activity, and then you run to this other thing, and then you go do some work on your phone for a bit, and then, right? So this idea that our time is shredded up into tiny bits, or what they called confetti time, and what they found is that people are less satisfied with their lives when they have this confetti time aspect rather than large blocks of things. This is why you're seeing things like clubs or fraternities or uh, sports like golf that take a long time, things that are disappearing because our world, our current uh, world we live in is so jam-packed full of things and there's not a very um, distinct separation from one life domain to the next, right? There just isn't. Uh, your, your phone is always there with the email on and the text and, and the teens or the Slack, you know, giving you uh, questions and all that stuff. So 
The question is, how do we apply that lesson of the of the gauge into the modern into our modern situation and into our future situations? And I kind of want to suggest a few things. And the first thing that I'd like to start with is that when we live in this confetti time uh, environment, it's really important to Jacob's um, comment that we find personal meaning in many ways and in many aspects of our lives. There was a study a couple of years ago about zookeepers, and that's why I have this up on the screen here. There's a couple of researchers named Thompson and Bunderson, and they had a curious, they had a very curious problem to solve. They noticed that there were lots of applicants for zookeeper jobs, um, but uh, there's very few openings. So it had a, a lot of people want the job, but there's not very many openings at all for this job. And they're, the reason they were curious is because um, the working conditions aren't great, uh, the pay isn't very good at all, and um, yet there's a lot of people who want it. <laughs> and why, why is that? So they started studying zookeepers uh, qualitatively to see what, 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 what you know, compels people to want to be zookeepers. And what they found out was that in general, zookeepers viewed, viewed their work not as a job, not as a career, but as a calling. And Thompson and Bunderson sort of summarize here what, what they believe calling is. It's that place in the world of productive work that you feel like you were created for, designed or destined to feel by virtue of some higher power that your talents and your opportunities have aligned, right? And so when we look into, you know, coming out of the business school disciplines that I, I look at in leadership that my doctorate's in, what I often look at is meaningful work because we spend so much time at work. It's important for us to understand how people find meaning and why they're engaged in certain activities at work. And one of the reasons is if someone frames their work in sort of this higher power driven idea of calling rather than it's a job to earn a paycheck. So the motivation behind it becomes, no, I'm not just a zookeeper. I feel like I was made for this job to help animals, to make sure the public understands about animals, et cetera. And so this becomes a calling for these people. And I think that if we can find our calling, that can help us with some of this aspect of aligning our lives in a way that becomes not only more productive, but we can plan our lives in a way that also becomes um, more satisfying for us personally. And we, we all know people that have callings for their jobs, right? Like maybe your friend, she's a firefighter, or he's a doctor, right? Or like, but what about the rest of us? You know, there, there's a few jobs that you can say, oh, those are really purposeful and meaningful, but what about the rest of us, you know? And, and the answer is that we have to stop thinking about the job or work domain that we saw in that 24-inch gauge example at the beginning uh, as a job-centric, and we need to switch to purpose-centric. And this is largely a mindset. Now, it's prevalent here in the U.S. because... Uh, what's the first thing someone asks you when you're at a dinner party in the U.S.? 
Um, what did you have for lunch? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> did you have lunch? Of course, of course. You know, what do you do for a living? Yes. What do you do for a living? Which is really just a shorthand for saying, how much money do you make and should I pay attention to you or not? Or care about you? How much social capital and status do you have? Are you worth uh, my time? Which is really quite sad, right? Like if you look in the left-hand side of this um, pre, uh, the slide, uh, this is just meant to be like an Italian street. Uh, but if you go to other countries, particularly in, in Europe, and you meet someone, they don't ask you, what do you do for a living? They ask you, where are you from? Where's your family from? They'll tell you where their family's from, how long they've lived in that neighborhood, right? They'll tell you a bunch of other stuff. So the American identity, if you will, psychologically, is tied up almost solely in our work function. Think about that for a second. It's not about where did you come from, who are your parents, uh, what religious practices, who are you? No, it's about what's your productive capacity, <laughs> right? And what's your utility in our society that then gives you a function of status? Now, there's a huge risk to tying our identity just to our work world. Well, why? Because what if you get fired, the economy tanks, or you need to change jobs? Some bad stuff can happen to you if your entire identity is tied up into the world of work. So what I'd like to propose is that our calling or purpose should not be job specific. And this goes to another lesson in Freemasonry that I have not yet uh, achieved of what is your finding the lost word, right? What is the lost word? Well, there's lots of things. Is it the name of God? Sure. Is it your own personal purpose and motto? Maybe, right? What is your own, your own life essence? So let's not think of our calling or purpose as job specific because that's real risky. It's like betting on a single stock instead of spreading things out throughout your life domains. And that brings me to a couple other interesting things. Um, there is a, there's a couple times in general in modern societies when you're mo most likely to die, and that is right after you're born because of infant mortality and right after you retire. Now, why would it be that right after you retire from your official American, if you will, corporation, why would, why would that be a, a risk? Your whole life just ended because everything, like you said, was was tied up into it. And uh, yeah. You seem to have lost purpose. Yeah, your purpose seems to evaporate. You lose your friends. And Douglas, that's a really important one is the social network that many of us count on, even subconsciously, right, from our work uh, environments has now often disappeared. And this is one reason why some researchers believe that women have longer lives uh, because they're more intentional about cultivating social networks outside of the workplace. And many men, not all, tend to rely on work as their sole social network. That's why things like the uh, Masonic fraternity or other organizations can be really important, right? Is because it can serve a social function and help people stay engaged with life and with something something that has a lot of meaning. 
you know, in Japan, they have something called a concept called ikigai, which is this idea of life force. And everyone has uh, an ikigai and they use that to sort of enrich their lives and their communities, whether that is a lifelong desire to garden, um, to do uh, bonsai trees like I grow or to do something. It's not just about a hobby, it's about what is sort of your life purpose and how can you pass this on to the next generations? So meaning is super important to not only from like making us happy and productive, but also keeping us healthy, right? And around. So the question is, how do we, how do we find this kind of calling? How do we, how do we um, make our work more meaningful? And I like to point to uh, a sort of seminal event in my education. When I was at the Wharton School, I got to, to study with Dr. Stuart Friedman. And um, he wrote a book called Total Leadership. If you haven't read it, it's a great one, Total Leadership. You can look it up. And he, uh, he taught us some interesting things. And, and one of them was quite shocking to most of us. And it was a new mental model. And this is where, we, where we'll see some compare and contrast with the lessons of the 24-inch gauge or the 24-inch ruler. He, uh, Dr. Friedman would say, listen, you need to stop talking about work-life balance. And we said, what are you talking about? And he said, just, it's not a good model. And we would argue with him about this, right? And he said, you need to think about it in a different way because balance implies a zero-sum game. In other words, if you put one thing on one side of the, of the scales, think of the old scales, right? If you put one thing over here, you have to put something else over here. You take something away here, you got to take something away here to keep it in balance, right? It's zero sum. It's got an equal equilibrium. And so he said, so let's see how your balance model works out. You only need about 10 hours for work a day, probably, even if it's broken up into those bits like we've talking about, right? Then let's say you need 10 hours for self, well, maybe we call that refreshment and stuff, right? Then you need only 10 more hours for family and then 10 hours for your community or, or service to your worthy brethren and to your God, right? So just 40 hours a day, just, you know, by 40 hours a day, you can have a balanced life. And part of that is largely driven off of the fact that we all in, in modern society have lots of work to do to survive, either to survive or because it's just so prevalent and it's there that we that we latch on to that. So he said, stop thinking about balance and let's start thinking about integration instead. And this is a way to reinterpret those three distinct domains we talked about. And I think this gets to Jacob's question about where does my, my fiat or my creative juices get to be expressed in these models. And so you could reimagine that there's four compartments of your life, home, work, community, and self. And rather than trying to balance them, we're trying to integrate them together. We're trying to find a way to align them rather than balance them out. Because if we try to balance them, then whenever we take something from one of those circles, we have to take it from the other. And there's really a couple different strategies for that. The first is that if we have a personal purpose that we've been talking about, if we find a sort of 
what drives us, we can find integration across all these domains instead of just tying up our identity in one of them, which is work. So if we say, I am a teacher, I am a carpenter, I am a web designer, whatever, right? That I am is tying your identity up in work. But what if you zoomed that out and got a little more general? Could you find a personal purpose that would work across many domains? And so how, how can you do that? And this is a practical example. I was talking with my wife a number of years ago. This is a little old now. And we decided to do some qualitative research. And so I developed this system to help people find their own personal purpose or their transcendent purpose that goes across all these life domains. And so at the top, and we can send out this, uh, there's a worksheet, we can post it or something later if, if we want to, but I just want to get the general idea here. Let's, let's just imagine that there's these four domains, self, family, community, and work, right? And then you have uh, different stakeholders at the top in each of those areas, okay? Then you have a dichotomous exercise, things I like to do or love and things I hate to do in each of those domains. So you go through this exercise and you, you first say, okay, who are my stakeholders that I'm gonna need to go validate the below with later? And I'm gonna list out the things I love to do and hate to do in each of these domains. And then I'm gonna start looking for themes by doing some thematic analysis and coding and see what, what things are sticking out to me that I can kind of find some commonalities with. And so for my wife, she's starting to see that she likes entertaining and helping people, but she doesn't like uh, letting people down or the, some, of the, um, some of the more legalistic aspects of real estate, which she's in, right? But she loves the relational part and some of the other uh, parts outside of her job, of photography, etc. And so she started to bring those all together and look for themes and she found, okay, well, maybe one of my themes is that she loves being with people or doing things for others, helping, has a helping personality. And remember, these are themes that aren't job specific, but across all domains. And I kept asking her, well, why do you do all this stuff? Why do you love to serve people? Why do you love to be creative? And she finally looked at me exasperated and said, I just like to make people smile, right? And that is her purpose, if you will. And it works when she's doing real estate, right? It works when she's volunteering in our church community. It works when she's uh, doing photography on her own, right? In the self domain. It works in all the different domains because it's broad enough to encapsulate that and to help us have a driving uh, force of our purpose. You know, my purpose really is to help people think and think differently. I want people to re-examine things from a different aspect. But I used to think that I was just a teacher, right? And that works pretty well at work. Um, it didn't work really well when I got into administration because my direct reports didn't want to hear a lecture about X, Y, and Z management philosophy. And it didn't work so well when I came home and started pontificating about different subjects all the time to my wife, right? But when I stepped back and said, what is it about these different things that I like? I want people to, to think and think differently. And I also am very concerned with this idea of aesthetics, not just from a, a, the way things look, but the way things work together in harmony, right?
So those kind of principles can be very important. If we can find those, we can start to integrate our lives rather than just um, trying to balance them, which doesn't often work very well. And the problem with the balance model is that I think, um, Jacob, you mentioned that in the first degree, we're learning about these, you know, dividing our time into three equal parts, which is an ideal, which most of us will never achieve very frequently. There'll be days when we could do that, right? Or we can rearrange our lives and sometimes get more of that. However, um, I often think it's more detrimental to have unattainable goals than to have no goals at all. Uh, because if people keep seeing they can't achieve it, they'll just quit. So how can we adapt that to our modern day lives to make it more attainable? And I would say, well, first and foremost, let's remember that these are principles which are presupposing one, that there's different domains or aspects or categories of your life. You define those how you want to. Second, don't tie your identity to any one of those single categories. Third, find a purpose that transcends all those categories to invigorate you throughout each of those categories. Fourth, make sure that you are taking time and energy to plan those areas of your life uh, in a creative process, right? So think about them consciously. And fifth, making sure that we are seeing all these things as flexible, as flexible and not fixed. There is no, uh, like I said, hard and fast boundaries between work life and family life anymore like there used to be sometimes we can create some that's a good good idea sometimes you know i'm working from home here sometimes my wife says where have you been and it's because i took a minute to read a book after i was done with work right at the same desk yep. <laughs> or in the chair over there right before i went to the other part of the house and that, that's a good idea so for me, um, what's interesting about all of this is this notion that we can take symbols that, yes, may have been repackaged neoclassicism from the Enlightenment period, transport them into modern life, and reapply them in imaginative ways that can help us build ourselves into better people. And I think in many ways, there's the spiritual, obviously, that I'm very interested in, inside of our fraternity, but also the practical application that lines up with some of the leadership science and management science that we're now studying in disciplines like business. So I'll stop there and I'd love to take questions. All right. Well, thank you so much for that presentation, uh, Brother Ted. Um, I got a lot out of that, actually. I got a whole bunch. Um, uh, before we take questions, I would just like to say, uh, you know, it's it is so important to find that thing um, that gets you up in the morning. I, I have recently found it. Uh, so I'm experiencing all these new things, especially what you said about kind of the freedom of the thought. Once I decided this is what God made me for. These are the things that make me happy. These are those little things. Let me put them together. Wow. I'm an author. I love to write and I love to do lectures on spirituality. Yeah. That's what, that's what gives me energy. You know, I woke up this morning like at seven o'clock, took a shower. I was ready for this show. I couldn't wait to get on here and listen to your lecture. Um, and I scoured the earth for it. 
you know? So I would really recommend people go back and look at this process that Brother, Brother Ted has put together for us. Um, I always look at this stuff as alchemy. As you do these things, you are changing the chemistry of yourself, even in the mind, even in minor areas. Your process that you have here is wonderful. I wish I would have had that when I was about 35 years old because I would have used it. Sure. I, I definitely would have used it. Um, let me think if I have a question here for you. Uh, gosh, that was so good. Um, during COVID, do you think right now is a, uh, do you think right now is a good time for people to really nail this down? A lot of people have lost their jobs. They've lost that position that they were tied up into. Do you yeah. think right now is a good time to, to say, look, this might be a good time to, to dial this down and, you know, you, you need to make money that, you know, money makes the world go round, but at the same time, uh, what do you think about that? I think that's a really good segue. I mean, in many ways, it's human nature not to change until until change is thrust upon us, if you will. Um, and we're all in a, t a period of change and it's affected us in different ways depending on your profession. Um, and I think that this can be a reflective time. So we all know that, you know, depression rates are going up, there's social isolation, there's things we can do like this, like Zoom and other meetings that we can do that can help create some of that social connection. But I think that beyond that, one thing we can do is use this space, if you will, to start to examine what is it that you really want out of life. I mean, how many of us have realized how detrimental our 30 to 40 minute commute has been to our lives now that many of us, not all of us, have not been commuting as much. Um, how many That's of us true. have realized yeah. that uh, working in a home setting has a lot of advantages and disadvantages, <laughs> a lot of advantages and disadvantages, and think about this idea that, you know, I've been thinking about this for a while. It, it wasn't until the Industrial Revolution that work and home weren't the same place. Right? This is a new invention we came up with. And sort of this eight hours that we just talked about in, in the 24-inch the gauge, that's not even an enlightenment idea. Well, I guess it is. It's really an industrial evolution idea, right? It was, okay, okay, we're not going to burn out you workers. We'll have an eight-hour day. And the union said, hooray, we can have a, a, end, a beginning and end to our work day. Um, but for the first time in history in the 1800s and the 1900s, people went to work. They left their home and went to work. That wasn't how it worked. I think Benjamin Franklin, our, our, our brother we often talk about, right? What is he doing? He's going downstairs to his printing shop, right? And basically, that's what a lot of us are doing now. We're, we're, we're going into the other room to our printing shop. Yeah. And we're discovering that it takes a lot more discipline, I think. Um, and also that there's some disadvantages that we haven't been used to. It's made us confront some things that we haven't been used to. So I think that looking at our lives and, and sort of figuring out what is it that I love to do that's going to invigorate me, that's going to make me a person that is, uh, you know, that other people can tolerate since I'm home so much and also that can help make the money that you need to make and, and move forward, you know? Brother Douglas. 
Uh, thank you. I um, once had a boss when I was in my 30s who, um, uh, when we talked to him about difficulties, he would talk to them to us about opportunities. Uh, and the, uh, I, for one, see, since I approached from that point on in my life, I approached all my challenges as opportunities and, uh, and really lived my life like that. So when COVID came, I just said, okay, what opportunities is this going to give me that I didn't have before? And Briggs, I never would have met you or it would have been unlikely. Jason, same way. Very true. Um, and the opportunity, and, and this is just uh, by way of example, because there's probably hundreds and hundreds of people who I've gotten to know over the last three, four months. Um, I had walked away from, I'd, I'd moved here from New York, as you know, and I had maintained a dual membership in my lodge in New York, just as a way of supporting the lodge. But after a couple months, I called the lodge up and I said, I called the master up and I said, you know, would you like me to continue in my role that I'd given up, which was education committee chairman? He said, yeah, we've never been able to find anybody to fulfill it. So I'm now, I'm, I'm now again, the education committee chairman of Publicity Lodge. And I'm running a full board, because I said, we're all equal in the Zoom, <laughs> you know, in the great right. land of Zoom. We yeah. are all equal brothers. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, I, 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 and I think the, the second part of this is the educational aspect. I think education has always been the, 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 uh, the pup, the, uh, the runt pup in the litter. And it's always, whether you, when you had 10 minutes to make a presentation on education, as the meeting wore on, uh, you were given a signal that, you know, with the five and like only five minutes. And then you were lucky if you got five minutes. Uh, and then the next week, the next meeting of the month was the deputy district grandmaster at the visit. And then the grandmaster had to visit too much. So suddenly education was this kind of, well, it was there and everybody wanted it and everybody said we needed it and we really wanted to do it, but there was never any time for it. Right. Now, look at what we've got. We've got all kinds of educational programs going on in masonry all over the, the country. People coming into some program, coming into some meetings from all over the world to participate in American masonry. And I, I just think this is an opportunity that will actually build what will be the new masonry, the new American masonry. And it's going and then that will, you know, people like Ted will have a role in that and 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 you know, kind of going through these the ideas he's been going through, but to a much broader audience than if he just went from lodge to lodge here and there. Sorry it took so much time, but I just no, that was, that was wonderful. And you're, you're so right. You know, here in Arizona, we're so blessed. We have brother Ted, we have brother Jamie, and we have brother Jacob. And, and on the East coast, you guys have the refracted light guys, you know, that we've all met and uh, have really enjoyed uh, hanging out with. And, and here now we're able to hang out with brother Ted and uh, in about a week, 2000 more people are going to be able to watch this and, and, um, get this process. So I, I agree with you, uh, Brother Douglas. Uh, how about you guys? How about you, Brother Ted? 
what I think is really interesting is that, you know, I've moved, moved to Salt Lake City in the last year, uh, year and a half actually now, and uh, still participating with uh, folks in Arizona and now, you know, folks from Salt Lake and, and other places as well. It's not to say that, uh, you know, once we have a vaccine and or other protocols to help us that, that face-to-face isn't important. Now, I'm the online education guy, you know, for my profession, so I, I do think that a lot of this stuff can be done effectively to Brother Douglas's point virtually, and that uh, you can then make the in-person stuff uh, more meaningful, right? Um, I like to call, it's a very much a hybrid approach I think we should be taking from, the, from here on out where we do a lot of stuff online and then we have really meaningful in-person experiences in a punctuated way that are less often than the online component, just from a convenience standpoint and from a let's get people really excited rather than it becoming perfunctory, right? Uh, what if we held the business meetings online and then we did the really powerful ceremonial ritual and some of the educational stuff in person and some of the educational stuff online, right? I think the numbers would rise drastically. I saw the numbers two years ago and, and uh, was basically told that my son's generation might been the, be the last because it had dropped. But, you know, all of us have seen it grow the past couple of years. And, man, I agree with you 100%. How about you, Jacob? Well, I'll tell you, I, um, to, to everyone's point in this, the, you know, starting with what D- Brother Douglas was saying, uh, um, you know, we at Ascension Lodge are already discussing, you know, post-COVID, just Zooming still, you know, uh, on the whole to kind of loop back to the beginning point. And I'm sorry I'm talking this way because my mic's over here. But, um, you know, with time management being being the big thing that we're talking about and confetti time, I love that because this ties right in. Um, we can save the commute we can save the time trying to park. We can save all that. We're all, you know, especially at Ascension Lodge downtown, the, you know, in the middle of the Metroplex here. We're, the members of our lodge come from all over the valley. We've got guys that come from Tucson. We've got uh, Worshipful Brother Harley now. It's coming, coming down from Sedona. We've got, I'm all the way out in the East Valley. We've got brothers way out in the West Valley. So it just makes some, we are kicking ourselves. We're like, what? why isn't this what we were already doing? It's almost been this renaissance. Uh, you know, with Tria Prima, yes. Jamie and... Jamie and Pat and I were like, wow, this just worked out because we had this thought of doing something um, for a long time. And then it was just kind of the catalyst to a cool project that now is, has been something to, that a lot of cool people have, have contributed to, just like Unknown Philosophers. I think it's really been a cool renaissance. And I, yeah. I love, um, and I, I know we're getting down to the wire here. I'll be quick. We got about five more minutes. But um it seems so obvious now that like compartmentalizing the parts of our lives seems quite ridiculous. Yes. But, but, but inter- integrating them seems like kicking myself again. I'm like, Oh man, that's so, so obvious. I've always seen like the different aspects of my life as lenses with which my kind of personal philosophies can shine through. So work and all that stuff, like the stuff I've learned in masonry, I try to apply through those aspects of my life. Right. But I've never really thought of the reverse. Like how, what, how does what I've learned at work apply into masonry or into my personal life? Uh, I've never really, you know, taken it back the other way. 
which is now something I'm excited to, to kind of try to that, that I guess you could say that kind of in, integral pr process rather than just the, the light shining through, you know, from uh, one way to, you know, the different aspects of my life. It was a great presentation, Brother Ted. Uh, I really loved it. And what everyone had to say, Douglas and Jason, Frig, all, all you guys, um, I, I love learning from because <laughs> it's been a constant uh, learning process for me. Join, join Masonry when I'm 19 and it's just been like overload. And every time, every time we do something like this, it's just uh, another synapse. It's like bursts, you know, it's awesome. So thanks again, Ted. And thanks Briggs for having me do this with you. Thanks for having me. I think I love learning with you guys. Does anybody else, uh, we've got a couple minutes left here. Uh, would anybody else like to jump in and maybe uh, ask uh, Brother Ted any question? Uh, how about Miguel? Uh, would, you, would you have anything to add uh, today, my brother? Hi, hi, hi all of you guys. Um, Dr. Ted, I have a question for you. Um, so I've been working on this, trying to manage my time um, for a few years now. And, and um, I, 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 I like to think that I've been failing at it and sometimes I, I give up on it um, just because I'm, I go down to the very hour of things and maybe that's what you're referring to, the confetti time. And, I, and I'm trying to plan my days like every hour, but most of the time it doesn't work out to, to go that way. And so I, then I suddenly I just like, I give up on it. And then so I, I just tell myself, just go, just, you know, um, try to live life in the present moment and, and, and adjust to what comes to you. Yeah. But how do you, how would you advise dealing with, with the uncertainties that the day brings sometimes? It's a really good question, Miguel. Like no plan survives its collision with reality, right? No plan survives its collision with reality. So I think that you're doing a good job by being flexible for sure. That's really important. Another thing that could work is thinking about managing your energy rather than your time. So yes, you have certain appointments you got to make throughout the day, but write down for a couple days how your energy level is before and after those activities and see how you can manage your energy. So that we have two finite things in the day, of course, is time, which we often try to micromanage and we have energy. But if we can think to ourselves, like for instance, I love doing these kinds of uh, webinars and talks and stuff, but I'm actually an introverted personality that's learned how to be extroverted because of my, because of my um, profession, right? And because American culture says, if you wanna rise in the ranks, you gotta be some sort of extrovert, which is very, a bad thing actually. But for me, like after I do an activity like this, it's energizing, but, then if I did two more of these, like in the next three days, it's too much. You know what I mean? And I'll just be burnt out because I need my introverted time to retreat, to, to think on my own, to be by myself, to have my alone time, if you will. That's what my wife calls it. Do you need your alone time, right? To recharge because I'm an introvert. And so you might think about, okay, I have these different things I have to do in the day. How is it affecting my energy levels and how am I going to recoup energy in between those, uh, whatever way that is. For other extroverts, it might be that you have to go and have a Zoom call with some people to get some energy back, you know. Um, but for 
introverted people, it's they need to go sit in a room and shake for a few minutes uh, after having all the stimulus from a lot of people. And so how can you manage your energy rather than just your time? And that might be a, a, a new way to think about things and notice rather that you're not hitting, when you feel sad that you're not hitting your categories of time management, can you think of it as how am I managing my energy and my, and my mood and stuff throughout the day and how is that working instead? Brother Miguel, thank you so much for that question. And uh, uh, Brother Ted, that answer is going to help uh, a lot of people that watch this. So thank you guys. That was wonderful. We're at the top of our hour. I want to thank everybody for uh, joining us today. I want to thank our guests uh, live here, uh, also on Facebook Live. Uh, now, this video will disappear from the Facebook page, and then in about 24 hours, I'll have the uh, studio cut up, so you can go back and watch it over again. Uh, again, remember that process that Brother Ted shared with us today. That is, uh, that is priceless. I also want to leave you with a, a word. Um, words are so important that Brother Ted gave us today. Confetti. Confetti time. That was a little realization for me. I can use that every day now when I'm checking my phone and I'm bouncing around and I'm wondering why, where's this anxiety coming from? Confetti time, stop. Uh, that's so powerful. That's a, that's a great word. Uh, as always, uh, I always say uh, I want to thank our co-hosts and our special guests today, uh, Brother Jacob. Uh, uh, next time Cosmo isn't here, I'm going to definitely give you a, a, a ring and get you back on. Thank you so much uh, for participating today. <laughs> Uh, it was you, wonderful. Yeah, it was great. Real quick, where yes. can Brother Ted share that uh, worksheet for us? Yes, or anything else, Brother Ted, your school or any books that you've written? Yeah, of course, please uh, check out Western Governors University, but also um, I'll be glad to send uh, over that worksheet to you, Brother Briggs, and we can post it on your on your forum. You can reach me also at ted ted at the crossacademy.org and i'll also give you that info that we can pop out uh, to everyone wonderful so again thank you very much brother ted uh, what we're going to do here as always we ask for some words of wisdom always from our guests to uh, help us get through the week and, and the weeks uh to come um after you give us those words, I'm going to hit in here, guys. Uh, best wishes, everybody. Have a wonderful week. And we're going to leave it to uh, Dr. Brother Ted. Thank you again very much, my brother. Thank you all. I think I'd just like to end with a quote from my favorite mid-century furniture designer, Charles Eames. He says, everything connects eventually. Everything connects eventually. And so we need to be careful about trying to compartmentalize our lives too much and find integration because one way or another, everything's going to bleed together and connect. And we can use that as a leverage point or as something that hurts us. Thanks so much.